I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest on this podcast, but a guest that's been on many times before. He has done phenomenal work in the reporting of Brittany Griner. It is TJ Quinn, an investigative reporter for ESPN. He's been assigned reporting on Brittany Griner for many, many months. He's been on this podcast a couple of times, been incredibly generous with his work and with the uh, news that there's been a prisoner exchange. I wanted to bring TJ back on because I have some questions and I think uh, he'll have some answers that will be of interest to the people listening. And I welcome TJ Quinn back to the Sports Media Podcast. Well, thanks, man. All right, TJ, um, when did you first get word that a prisoner swap either had happened or was about to happen? Uh, I mean, early Thursday morning, I think around the same time everybody did. one source who wasn't in a position to have direct knowledge, but was adjacent to people who did said, I think something's happening. I reached out to somebody else and said, is something happening? And they said, yeah, it looks like it. And then a short time later, CBS had it. Um, you know, it was, you got a sense earlier in that week, there were a couple of people I talked to where I was asking certain questions and they said, check back in a few days. And it was like, all right, maybe there's something going on, but I, I really did. Uh, honestly, I did not think it was going to be that she was headed home. I thought it was going to be some some development short of that. So it was a, it was a surprise. You know, before I get to a couple other questions, I I, I want to ask you because I think you'll have an interesting answer. Um, CBS made it known that they had known about this prior to the the actual release in the news um, and the news coming out, and they they were asked, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. They're asked by the State Department to hold off on reporting anything because the State Department did not want anything to potentially um, blow up the deal. Um, I, if I was in charge of CBS, I'll just be blunt. I, I would have acceded to those wishes. I, 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 I think in certain situations, you have to think of um, the, the people involved first bef- before the news. But I know you saw that, and I wondered just even your sort of top line thoughts, what you what you thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it made perfect sense. First, I, I think it was the White House asked him, but okay. whatever, Thank same you. thing. It was the administration. But um, we we would have done absolutely the same thing and at different times on a far smaller scale than that story, because that's the biggest story since the, you know she was since she was arrested. Um, we've we've done similar things because you have to have that calculation of what's at stake. And, you know, when, when I mean. Remembering back in March when when word first came out, there was a great concern with uh, with the government and with her own supporters that if there was too much attention to her case, it would elevate her into a more valuable hostage for Putin and that there was a danger to that. And so it was obviously huge news that this American star was in Russian custody. But 
we did make a decision to to moderate our coverage for that reason. I mean, you know, at ESPN and a lot of other places, when when you, you know, I mean, as you well know, my work is more, you know, connected to sports than directly sports. Um, you know, we get into issues and things, but we treat things like NFL trades and, um, you know, injury reports like, like their life and death. Well, all right, this one is and while we act like, you know, uh, talks at the winter meetings in baseball are, are national secrets. These are actually national secrets and you err on the side of not putting somebody's life at risk. And with her, her life was potentially at risk. You just, you just didn't know what would happen to her there. And so it, it's always a, a fine line and you go back and, and read, you know, any, any, anybody who's a student of journalism um, and you read about press coverage through two world wars and through Vietnam and through Watergate. And there's, you know, always, always this dance of, of national security versus you know, the news interest, the public interest. And, and that's the question you're asking yourself is how is the public served by this? Is it important for them to know that the timing of this, when breaking the news that Brittany Griner is probably coming home could actually jeopardize that. So I would, I would think almost any, any outlet would have made that same decision. So when you, TJ, when you, um, read the CBS news piece and you, you quickly now become aware that, okay, this, um, this prisoner swap has happened. What is your game plan? Did you, you, you know, when you're talking to your editor at ESPN on, on that Thursday, what are you ultimately thinking about? And then what are you ultimately doing? Uh, the first thing was confirming it, um, of course. And then, you know, the state department went in and, you know, the white house announced it. Um, and then it is just a, it is a mad scramble, which we were kind of prepared for. I mean, we had an idea of what we wanted to do when this happened. And we'd had several meetings about, okay, how's the network going to handle this? You know, we had a piece that we had cut that was ready to go on, on TV as kind of a primer on, you know, the whole story, the whole timeline. Um, that, that stuff is, is, is ready to go and just needs a little bit of updating. Um, and then it's trying to do anything I can to get any of the sources I've developed through through the government, through people who work with the government, through, you know, in Brittany Griner's world to just piece as many, you know, as many details together as you can get. Because you're you've got the basic breaking news of it, but you also want some color of what's going on. And so, you know, some of the things that we got that day, um, you know, those, those months of relationships paid off. And I think the trust, I mean, this really, it, it's, it's a reminder of why, you know, look, you don't screw people because it's just, you know, it's the wrong thing to do. But on the other hand, you also, if you do your job honorably, people remember that when the time comes. And so there were people who, you know, were in an awkward position talking to me for months. And I was very, very circumspect about how I reported who I was able to reach that day who gave me some great details, like the fact that, you know, I don't know if anybody else had it, maybe, um, that the government had actually offered Victor Booth for Paul Whelan straight up and had been, had been denied. Um, we got some great details about uh, Sherelle Grinders, you know, Brittany's wife and, and her trip there and, 
how she was told um, you're going to meet with Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor. Uh, then it turned out that her agent had said, I bet you should be prepared to meet, <laughs> excuse me, to meet the president as well. Um, and then somebody telling me from the White House that, yeah, typically when she's come to meet with anybody in Washington, we bend over backwards saying, don't get your hopes up. This is just a, a meeting. Um, and that this time we didn't do it. And so, you know, you just you're doing everything you can just to piece together, put put a reader, put a viewer in that room. What was it like? What was happening? What are the other background things? Why was this decision made? How did it happen? There was one thing I was pretty pissed off about because a couple of weeks before that, I had heard from a pretty good source that things were moving toward a one-for-one -one trade. And there was somebody I called, uh, I don't even want to say what office it was in the administration, who said, um, like, really waved me off that hard. Not that we would have even necessarily reported it then, because it could have really, you know, again, you don't, you don't want something that's going to screw up the talks. Um, but we would have made that judgment. And it was, you know, so that was just kind of needling me throughout the day that, damn it, we were right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just get as much as you can from as many people as you can for as long as you can. And then whatever else is left over, that's your next day's story. Um you know, we'll just keep at it till we've emptied the notebook. As we uh, tape this on um, Monday, December 12th, you have a piece that's up right now. I think that posted either last night or today on um, Brittany Griner doing yeah. last night. Okay. Brittany Griner doing some light workouts uh, in basketball. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, I, I don't know if you had the detail in there that she dunked, you know, but basically you're right. sort of, you have some details about the fact that like, um, she went back on the court. Obviously that was important to her to just sort of, you know, bounce a basketball and touch it and stuff. Um, in terms of that, are you, my, my senses, and I don't know this, but like, that's a relationship with you and, and Brittany Griner's agent, Lindsay Colas, and she's providing you with that detail. Cause obviously you're not in San Antonio right now. Um, you know, no, and I, and where I, you and have I, access to Brittany Griner, nor does anybody. Right. No, com I'm completely reliant on her and a couple other people that I'm talking to. And so, I, I mean, I, I attribute almost all of it to her in that article. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't like to try to play games and, and be cute about, uh, you know, how I've got access to something. This is no Lindsay just, you know, who, who has been really low key throughout and has, you know, has, I mean, I, I don't know how many times over the past nine months I've asked her, come on air, do this, do this on the record, whatever. And she just wouldn't do it. Um, so I was just relieved that she finally was like, okay, I'll talk. Um, so she shared, she shared most of those details. Some other things I'd gotten from a couple other people, some, and some things um, I'd gotten from uh, one of uh, Brittany's two lawyers in Russia, Maria uh, uh, Blagovina and, who, you know, was also on the record. She was the one telling me a little bit about how things went down over there. She was the one who told me last week that she got her, she cut her hair. Um, and it's amazing. I mean, it's one of those things. It's again, I've been doing this a long time. You've been doing it a few years yourself and, you know, you get the big news, but the things that resonate with people are often the very, you know, yeah. the, the tiny things. And You're right. That detail about the hair that you got, like really, you know, that was I, I, not to use social media always as a barometer, but but that was a pretty big talking point on social media. 
No, it really wasn't because people really react to it in part because, you know, I mean, look, especially, you know, for black women, there is a long, long history of, you know, uh, of the cultural significance of black women's hair. And um, so I think you you were seeing a lot of people react to that, you know, from a very emotional level. It's like, you know, was this black woman forced to cut her hair in this Russian prison? Um, You know, every there is such distorted. you know, perspective of, of symbolism throughout this story, right? I mean, everybody processes everything, processes everything through a political, personal lens these days. Um, I'm, I think they always have, but, um, you know, the, everything here, because of the nature of the geopolitics, of the domestic politics, it, you know, it gets, it gets even more warped. And so somebody's hair becomes this huge point in the cultural discussion it's you know like i said from the from the side of black women it's like oh my god was she forced to do this um you know uh but then also when it was clear that she had done it it was assigned to uh assigned to a number of people that that's actually really healthy that means that she is at a place where um you know, I'd, I'd spoken to a number of former uh, detainees, you know, different circumstances, one from Syria, one from uh, one from Somalia, um, who had talked about uh, like the, the one important commonality of people who adjust well is how well they had regained a sense of agency um, in captivity. And um, the fact that Brittany Griner was able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a Russian work camp. I have no idea how long I'm going to be here. Um, but this is one thing I can control and I'm sick of washing my hair and having it freeze and getting a chill and getting sick. So I'm getting rid of it. That's actually, you know, a, a powerful symbol of, of where her, her state of mind was at the time. So do you, um, now, after you've reported for a couple of days, do you have a better sense of what her life was like when she was transferred to that uh, to that last prison? Um, coming together, I mean, it's you know like what her lawyer was telling me, and like everything with this story, and I guess any story is, well, any story where I can't go and look for myself, right? Um, where I'm relying completely on other people, and in this case, relying. You know, 99% on people in this country, and then the 1% is, you know, her lawyer speaking to me from Moscow. And I have to be mindful that, you know, however, you know, well-intentioned she might be, you know, she may be telling me things in good faith. She is still in Russia, and she's probably being monitored, and she is, you know, subject to harassment um, for anything that she says. But she was telling me, and and Lindsay later confirmed this, (laughs) that, um, it, it, it really could have been a lot worse than it was that, you know, like it, it's not a spy. You're in a freaking Russian penal colony. This is, this is, these are leftover gulags from the Soviet era. And your job is to, it's a labor camp. You get up and, and the women are sewing clothes all day. And, you know, as, as we wrote, she told me that Brittany was, was too tall to do the work. She couldn't sit at the bench and her hands were too big to sew. So her job was carrying fabric around. And she said, Brittany had told her and, and then Lindsay, her agent later confirmed this, that yeah, she actually enjoyed her job considering what it could have been. Um, 
not saying it was fun or that you'd want to sign up and do it again, but all things considered, it could have been way worse than it was. What have you, 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 um, you talked to some people who have been kidnapped before one, including Jessica Buchanan, who was kidnapped by Somali right. pirates in 2011. What have you learned about the psychological adjustment Brittany Griner is going to have to face over the next couple months? Typically what happens, and I say this with the, the caveat, they all stress with me that everybody is different. There's absolutely no one path, but the commonalities are, um, it, some of it depends on the length of, of your confinement. And she, um, you know, she was there for a long time. And Sam Goodwin, who I spoke to, was there for 60 in, in Syria for 63 days. Jessica was there for 40 oh something, I think. Um, now, look, there's a big difference between being in a jail in Moscow, which Brittany was for the most part. Um, there was only a month in that in that in the penal colony. Um you know, and, and being, you know, leaning against a tree all day when Somali pirates might do who knows what to you. Um, but the commonalities are, you know, what I mentioned before, that's that sense of agency, finding some some way to control the little things that you can control. And Sam Goodwin, had told, you know, who's a former college hockey player, told me that, you know, that's where his athletic experience was crucial to him, that idea of controlling what I could and why he was optimistic for Brittany Griner. Um, and it sounds like she had, you know, sh she was able to, to tap into that. Um, if you, if you feel completely out of control, if while you're over there, you still, your brain switches to this flight or fight mode. Um, and by the way, a lot of the perspective I got from this is from my daughter um who's 23 but has worked for years um with an organization that that works with sex trafficking victims and so i've got my daughter who is you know i'm still in college when uh when britney was detained um she's walking me through the psychology of this because she works with survivors all the time it's you know sex trafficking is different than being incarcerated, but the human brain does the same thing. When you have no sense of agency, when someone tells you when you get up, when you can eat, um, how you work, when you work, all those things, part of your brain shuts off as a response. And uh, that's what happens to a lot of people when they're, you know, detained. And whether, again, whether you're, you know, against a tree in Somalia or in a, in a Moscow jail, you have to try to regain that because, you know, paradoxically, there are a number of people who have been there for a shorter period of time, but never regained the sense of agency. They still were in that kind of fight or flight mode where you, you really lose executive function. And um, again, you know, my daughter, Eleanor, telling me about the women she's worked with who lived like this for years. And you, they can't understand directions in, in Manhattan. You can't say go four blocks this way and two blocks that way that part of their brain has shut off as a response. So something similar happens with, you know, people in this situation where you, it's, it's your brain protecting you. And if you come back before you regain that sense of agency, it can take a long time to, to recover. And somebody like Brittany may be in a better position. So what Jessica and, and Sam and others had told me was there's, there's the honeymoon period that she's in right now. And you're reuniting with everybody and it's all great stuff. But 
things creep into your mind there she will have some sort of ptsd i just don't see how from what I'm, i've learned it's unavoidable you know it takes a while for that to hit you she's gonna she's probably gonna have some guilt over what her family and, and loved ones and friends went through um it's just a natural reaction so that you know that's why there was a psychologist on the plane when she flew in um you know, when she was picked up in Abu Dhabi, when she landed in San Antonio, before she even got off the plane, a couple of medics and another psychologist went and got on the plane to talk to her. She's going to have constant attention to her mental health. Um, but it's not as easy as just coming back and picking up a ball and getting back into your life. Did you, um, and maybe this guy doesn't talk, but did you, um, did you ever try to talk to Roger Carstens, who's the U.S. special presidential I tried many affairs. times yes <laughs> yeah that guy has this is a, honestly one of the most fascinating jobs in america and I, I don't say that as oh you know fascinating like he's the trainer for lebron james like it's obviously <laughs> high pressure stressful etc but um you know he, he 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 really is sort of like many times sort of the point person right for these people either ultimately getting out or not. I know the presidents ultimately have to have the final say, but uh, I was reading a little bit about his job and it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's incredible and often fruitless. You know, you've got, I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a brutal, he, I mean, his background is pretty incredible as it is, but he, yeah, he's a Navy yeah. SEAL, right? And yeah. you know, obviously a well-educated guy and he, um, you know, the, the work that he did, he, he got six people out of Venezuela um, a few months ago and like nobody paid attention to it. And, you know, as any of us who spends any time on social media knows, everybody's an instant freaking expert on hostage negotiation yes. and you should have done this and they could have gotten this. And um, so much of, of the work that he does is you're dealing with, to begin with, bad faith actors who have essentially kidnapped somebody. Um, and remember, it's, you know, not everybody who's arrested abroad is considered to be wrongfully detained. It is, it is a special designation with a specific description under U U.S. law. Um, so his job as, you know, special president, Sorry, I'm talking too much this week. Special presidential envoy for hostage affairs. If you were, if your case is in front of him, the U.S. has decided that under the law you are being wrongfully detained. So, um, usually it's fruitless. I mean, there is an estimated between the numbers I've heard between 45, 60, maybe even more people, Americans held abroad who were who were deemed to be wrongfully detained, um, and his office is to work on all of them and everything you do is second guessed. Um, everything becomes political. They knew that all along that if either Brittany Griner or Paul Whelan came home without the other one, 40% of the country was going to go bonkers and attack you and talk about your agenda. My, my feed is filled with it. Um, you know, some of it is, is actually driven by the Russian bot farms, but some of it is just, you know, genuinely Americans who are, you know, all stirred up because she came home and Paul Whelan didn't. And, you know, that's the climate you have to do your job under is to, you know, keep going back to these, these governments or, or organizations that have Americans abroad 
um, with families feeling like they're not getting attention, um, that you're not doing enough. You've got to balance your desire and the family's desire. You know, like I, I, you and I talked about this, you know, many times. Brittany Griner's family had one mission, and that was to get her home. That's it. The State Department, the Biden administration, they have to, they want to get these people home, but they also need to do it in a way that's not going to incentivize kidnapping Americans. They have other geopolitical considerations. Um, it's not just Russia you're dealing with. It's other countries. You've got multiple people, uh, multiple masters to serve. Um, so Roger Carson's job, I mean, yeah, he was, I saw him talking on CNN the other morning about what it's like to finally, you know, when you shake that person's hand and say, I'm taking you home, what a big deal that is. But he does an awful lot of work to, to get to that one moment. I got two things left for you. Um, and it's absolutely worth mentioning the, um, like how graceful, uh, and how much grace David Whelan had when it came to the release of Brittany Griner. I put out a statement about that, about sort of that the Whelan family was happy for every, you know, it's not going to change everything TJ, but it, at least in the moment, it sort of, it changed, uh, it changed the narrative. And then David David Whelan has been obviously very, very out front about um, how he feels about um, his brother being there, Trump administration, and and how it's handled the stuff. It gets to a larger thing, and you know you've had to deal with this um, in your reporting. Obviously, nowhere near, I imagine, like WNBA players have had to deal with it and stuff like that. But the the amount I I sent what I thought was a pretty innocuous tweet, just basically saying to the effect of, uh, you know, there's going to be obviously a lot of people who just sort of have now become uh, geopolitical experts overnight. But like the important thing is like an American's coming home, whatever, you know, like had I said that in like 1975, like it, it, it doesn't seem like it would have caused any kind of stir, but we live in a different universe now. And I wonder for you, and uh, I did see on your Twitter feed, like, I think you just put like, only people who either follow you can reply or people who are in the story can reply, which I thought was smart. Yep. But um, you were aware, right, of just how much vitriol was um, unleashed regarding Brittany Griner's release. And it does, and not to play sort of conspiracy theory here, it does feel like the there are powers, and perhaps in this case the Russians, as you mentioned, who – are trying to um, make social media a place where Americans are fighting each other about this and forgetting about the larger fact that an American citizen wrongfully detained is coming home. Um, I should never be surprised at the vitriol that happens, but I found myself even watching sort of the grinder stuff and just once again shaking my head like, how the fuck right. did we get here? Just to be blunt. No, it's... Uh, yeah, for this story, typically, um, once in a while, I'll forget, I will limit replies to people who, who I follow. And it's not something I do with other stories. This isn't the only story I've done where you get a lot of blowback from people. I, it's not fun, but, you know, uh, I'm, I, I don't really get into it or take it personally. I don't engage. Um, you, you mostly kind of ignore it. What I felt was different with this story is it's not just the political polarization in this country. You know, everything, you know, if you sneeze, it's a political declaration to somebody. And 
and proof of some agenda that you've got. And you just can't waste time thinking about that. Um, you know, with this story, yeah, you, 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 from the very beginning, it was clear what the political implications were going to be on it. Um, but the reason I've limited it is I feel, you know, the, the Russian misinformation effort is so organized and so thorough that I felt like my Twitter feed was becoming a platform for, uh, for, uh, what's essentially a political operation. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing if, you know, Jim from Ohio wants to spout off or whatever, fine, what, you know, so be it. But I'll, I'll look sometimes at it, the, the signs are always there, right? Like all of a sudden it's 6am in Moscow and I got a ton of comments in my feed from, you know, go America eight, six, five, three, seven, eight, an account created December, 2022 with two followers that are both porn accounts. And, um, you know, they all have the same talking points. It's pretty clear what that right. is. Those are, that's, that's from a Russian bot, bot farm. And the whole point is just to stir it up over here. And sometimes you get them on the other side. Typically they're pushing right-wing talking points in this country. Um, but you see them from the other side as well, because the whole point is simply to create dissension. And that's, that's why I limited who can comment, because if somebody wants to quote, tweet me, whatever, somebody wants to criticize me, whatever, fine, they'll do it. Um, but this is different. This is, you know, it's, it's a Russian propaganda effort. And I, you know, this is not company policy and I really haven't discussed it with my bosses. Um, maybe I'll get a phone call after this. I don't know, but um, I just felt like that's a line to draw. Don't let my feed become, you know, the, the vehicle for that misinformation. Um, and it can't happen all the time. I mean, when the main ESPN account tweets out my story like it did this morning and it tags me okay there there's no restriction there and now i'm hearing from thousands and thousands of people <laughs> um some real some not but it, it's a huge part of the landscape here's the last one from me uh, just it's more just of a little thought exercise as to how you think it'll go and and and, and what you might anticipate it's very clear that every major media outlet you know, from the 60 Minutes to the Today Show to, you know, whoever, The Guardian, New York Times, they're all, I think, in some, they all certainly would be interested in talking to Brittany Griner. I don't know how many will actually go out and make the um, the formal ask. I put, obviously, ESPN in there as well. Um, how do you think that's going to play out, like, from the Brittany Griner um camp and and the people who love her that perspective you know obviously i would like to hear from her but if i step back from sort of like the sports journalism role i hope she doesn't talk for some time i'll just be very honest dj like i i hope she sort of figures out her way back into into her old life and and doesn't comment on it but you know these requests are going to come um there's going to be photographers who are probably around wherever she's going to be in either texas or arizona and like you know, that, that's the world yeah. we live in right now. Um, so I just, again, it's not really a question for you. It's just more of just your sort of open-ended thoughts on on how that's going to play out. Because obviously there's going to be immense amount of interest in, in media places. Yeah. Trying to oh, talk yeah. To I mean, and of course, I've made the request since she was, you know, arrested. Yeah, right. as you should. Um, it's your job. 
I also doubt that I'll get it. But, um, you know, I have not been told definitively what the plan is from the conversations I've had with people around her. Um, and of course I've asked Lindsay about this many times. They're absolutely going to take their time. They're not going to rush into anything, but it's also clear that they want to control what they do. Um, Lindsay has put up a pretty good firewall, uh, around Brittany. Um, now that she's back, you know, she's still on the base in, in San Antonio, when she leaves there, she is not going home. Um, they've got uh, a place for her at somewhere in undisclosed private secure location because um, they they want to make sure she is ready and that she comes back at her pace. And you can't make that decision less than a week after you got home. Um, you're just you just haven't gone down the road enough of whatever your your healing process is going to be. I mean, she's again, still in kind of that honeymoon phase. And they've also been super, super careful about how things come off in relation to Paul Whelan, right? Like, I think that was part of why you didn't see much of a public celebration when she got back, because they were well aware of, you know, both the reality and the optics of the fact that another American is still over there and he's, you know, in six days, he'll have been there. He'll, he'll have been in Russian detention for four years. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of thought to, to, to the visuals on that. Um, not wanting to, to gloat too much. I think whatever we hear from her, it's going to be, you're going to hear Paul Whelan's name all the time. And Lindsay said to me, and I said in that article uh, last night that, she expects her to use this new fame she's got. I mean, again, she was famous, but it was very niche kind of fame. Um, she was she was easy to spot. I mean, you've been around her. She's, she hasn't been in a room since she was 12 years old where she wasn't the center of attention. Um, I literally bumped into her in a, the line at the Starbucks in, in, uh, on campus in Bristol and heard someone say sorry from about two feet above me and turned around. I'm staring at her sternum and... Uh, and it just it like struck me in that moment. My God, she there's nowhere she's ever been, and and this is this was all the WNBA women, our commentators um, were there, and she still stands out. And so whatever you know, look. So she it's it's not like she she wasn't used to being stared at, but now she has reached this other level uh, as a as a cultural figure in this country, and. They are very aware of that. So um, there's whatever they do, I know, is, is going to be mindful of what she says will now have political, cultural implications in a way it didn't before. Um, I would have to think that because when we saw Sherelle Griner, uh, it, it was very limited. You know, she's, she was on Robin Roberts. I would have to think if, you know, when she does finally do some kind of sit down, it would be, you know, Robin would be excellent, of course. Uh, Oprah would be a natural, you know, person to assume that would be much bigger in sports. Um, I know, like, everything, it will be very carefully managed. Um, and, and what they keep telling me is that, you know, everything is based on how she's doing when she is ready. Um, Lindsay was really big on that point last night about everyone wants to know, you know, fans want to know, is she going to return to basketball? And yes, she picked up a ball yesterday and worked out. 
uh, and apparently really enjoyed it. But that's different than the reality of getting back out there, getting on a court, getting in front of fans, the interviews she'll get everywhere, the response she'll get from crowds, even though those, those will be friendly crowds, clearly. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a really long time. Uh, I mean, we'll get some kind of statement this week, but I'll bet you anything. It's, it's like an Instagram thing or a video or something. Um, I don't think she's going to actually sit down and do an interview for, for quite some time. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I would agree with that. The, the, the last thing I'll say, you're certainly welcome to follow if you want is, um, I, um, I covered the women's final four when Brittany Griner was a freshman, or if my memory is off on this, I know I covered Baylor her freshman year and she was shy. She really did not speak much TJ. I mean, no doubt Kim Mulkey probably also at Baylor kept her, I think intentionally not doing a ton of press. And it was even fascinating to me to watch that maturation from Brittany Griner as a freshman to Brittany Griner as a senior who was far more confident and talkative, and then to see her in the pros, um, you know, genial and and press friendly, quite you know, really press friendly and um, willing to do interviews. Um, she's really been an interesting figure, uh, just away from what obviously happened to her the last um, ten months. And um, and my sense is, I think you're right. I would not be surprised if the first thing we hear from her is just some kind of um, video that her and her team put out of maybe her just talking, maybe she's talking with her wife. I, I'm not sure, but you know, five, 10 minutes where it's just her not being interviewed by someone else. I, I would not be surprised to see that at all. I, I wouldn't either. Cause I think, you know, all, all the people I've talked to the last few months about, uh, I've talked to in the last few months about, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what, what's the procedure for, for kind of reintegrating into your life and they've all you know talked about just the patience that you need and they you know people don't you know she may look a certain way today that doesn't mean that she'll be in the same state of mind in a week or a month and you've got to give her time to do that so they've been incredibly careful about that but i also look i also know that they recognize there's going to be a huge demand for her story and, um, you know, whether book, movie, documentary, whatever, however her story is told, it is going to be so carefully managed. Um, she's not just going to suddenly walk out into, you know, to another Starbucks and just people run up and start chatting with her. This is going to be incredibly carefully managed, um, you know, and it's in part because that's the climate you control, you know, you try to control your story as best you can, but also just the recognition that, you know, you, you just, they, they want to keep as much pressure off her as they can. TJ Quinn is an investigative reporter for ESPN, and he has been reporting on the Brittany Griner case and story for ESPN since her imprisonment. TJ, it's uh, been always good to you, man to make some time for this podcast to come on. I I really appreciate uh, your reporting and your time. And thanks for coming on the uh, the Sports Media Podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure, man. It's great to get into nuance with you, which you don't always get to do in this media landscape. Uh, my thanks to uh, TJ Quinn for stopping on the podcast uh, and giving me a little bit of brief time. I, I did want to do this. I thought it was, um, thought it was important to just uh, have TJ on because he's obviously, he's been on this 
I think this is his fourth time talking about Griner on this podcast, and uh, and his work has just been incredible. Um, if you like these kind of podcasts, head to our archives page. There should be something for you. Um, I will um, let you know that uh, the next podcast will be a tribute to Grant Wall, and that will be out on Wednesday with um, some of his longtime colleagues reflecting on his life and, and his work. So that should be out uh, early morning on Wednesday, and uh, we haven't taped it yet, but uh, but yeah, I'm both looking forward to it, obviously, and in some ways dreading it too, because it's forced to sort of come to the realization that he has indeed passed. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his uh, hard work. I want to thank everybody at Canes 13 for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.